0: Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast, produced by me, Fraser McGruer, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Chris Ragg and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights, and this week we've got a special guest with us, Tom Plant, and this week we're discussing averting the apocalypse. And perhaps introduce us to Tom, who I presume is an expert in how to avoid or avert apocalypse. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. He's an expert on all that. Um, uh, I, uh, Yeah, so I've recently finished watching the amazing uh, HBO series Chernobyl. Um, and I have to say, as someone who thought they knew about Chernobyl and how it went down, I was definitely wrong. I mean, it's... Uh, Don't it, tell me too much. It's a superb um, recounting of the kind of key events. Uh, what I think is interesting and unusual is that the writer has been very transparent. Uh, so Craig Mazin has been extremely transparent about the decisions that he made, where the reality differs. But it nearly, if you listen to the accompanying podcast, you'll see that actually nearly all of it is more or less how it went down. And, and comparing footage side by side, uh, very very similar. Um, so uh, anyway, it, it, the so obviously Chernobyl was a catastrophic nuclear accident. And at least the implication of the program is that it could, for all anyone new, have uh, become much worse. And obviously, you know, with um, the uh, in more of an interest in alternative forms of energy, uh, I, I think one of the things people are interested in and worried about is, well, is nuclear a viable option still? Um, you know, have we got any more reason to think we're safe now? uh than we did in you know 1986 uh, could we be mistaken what's the worst that could happen they're all quite interesting questions how do we think about you know safety and nuclear safety and, and risk um so uh anyway tom is an expert on all kinds of nuclear stuff he'll tell you about himself in a sec but yeah i've known him for um oh what 15 years and uh yeah something like that feels longer uh since we were both working in the ministry of defense and he was and he's got a physics background and uh and has been looking at nuclear things all his life so he's the perfect guy to have on this podcast great uh tom just tell us a little bit about yourself
2: first. how can i possibly live up to that introduction i always get nervous when people describe me as an expert i prefer specialist because it implies that i focus very narrowly but have no <laughs> necessary skill level okay so i'm the director. your ignorance of... is <laughs> right. narrow yeah. my, my ignorance <laughs> yeah. is narrow that's right but my interests are broad and, and so here we are uh i'm the director of proliferation and nuclear policy at Rusi, the royal united services institute which is a think tank in london and we just do defense and security issues and i run one of the research programs there which really does you you know nuclear weapons, the spread of them, and you know, capabilities in different states, things like that. Um, my personal specialty is issues around North Korea, but also cover things on Iran, arms control, and so forth.
0: And what's your background before all that? How did you get into this whole proliferation, the whole
2: proliferation game? game?
3: What well, yeah. he sold <laughs> nuclear arms to <laughs> rogue states. Well, I do yeah. kind of.
2: Think from time to time that I could possibly make an alternative career as an arms dealer, but you know, that's that maybe comes after this podcast. (laughs) I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, as Nick said, I have a you know a physics background it always slightly shames me because I'm very much a generalist in that respect my even within the discipline of physics I'm a generalist there and a lot of what I've spent my time doing and I do now really is trying to translate between the scientific the policy and technology worlds right to try and make sure that the implications of things that are happening that are you know fundamentally very about science and engineering and so forth that have policy impacts in the nuclear domain are understood properly and responded to in a way that makes sense from a technical perspective and you know vice versa you know turning that around too so that kind of technology policy translator role is quite often what I and people like me find myself sure. playing okay great um and, and
0: Nick I think you go for it I think you might have questions you want to ask of Tom yeah can, could it could
1: Chernobyl happen again well, I Let's mean, kick are, off with that one.
2: If I remember rightly, and I should have checked this before I came here, <laughs> but if I remember rightly, so the design of the reactor at Chernobyl is quite an interesting one. I think there is one remaining in the world of that particular type. And one of the reasons that the Chernobyl reactor design is interesting is because it has this kind of uh, positive feedback loop thing, right? So when it starts running out of control, that particular reactor design has a tendency to just keep going. Uh, Unless you don't want that right right you You want want it to be the other way around exactly (laughs) yes that is definitely the case and modern reactors very much have that designed in that sort of negative feedback thing so as it happened in Chernobyl no that wouldn't happen but you know there's clearly risks of nuclear accidents of different kinds things that we saw in Fukushima for example was a very very different case far fewer people died as a result of the nuclear accidents Um, but you know things can still happen of course
0: um, sorry, so let's just actually let's take this back a little bit and give ourselves a bit of a platform here. Um, can we talk about, well, what did go wrong with Chernobyl and what did go wrong? You mentioned Fukushima there as well and talk about the differences there because I think that helps better answer whether that
1: could happen again or not. Do we agree? Mm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, although people can just watch the TV show. Well, I want so to. Maybe but... in a very abridged version. But uh, well, I yeah. don't think, I think, hasn't Tom, I mean, he's given you the bare bones of it there. I'm not sure. There was something about positive feedbacks. Um, yeah, right. So the the reactor design thing, okay. I'm not
2: going to go into the details of the One, because I don't actually remember them all. And two, because people might want to watch the show like me. I haven't seen it either. And that's probably going to be, from what Nick said, the best refresher I could possibly have. But basically, during... Uh, what, reactors have a number of different elements right they have the fuel the nuclear fuel that sits in there and that's sort of generating all the heat that kind of thing they have a thing called a moderator uh, and they have coolant and stuff which makes sure that and the coolant you know serves two functions one it makes sure that the reactor doesn't get too hot start melting or burning or whatever uh and it has another function which is that as the coolant heats up you know it's that heat that's used to drive turbines you know dri- create steam um drive turbines create electricity uh, and so i mean on. as i understand it
1: the nuclear fuel is just heat, right? That's all we want it for. In the same way, it fills the same function as coal in a coal-fired power station. All we are doing is taking that heat and effectively spinning a turbine and generating electricity. It's as simple as that. Basically, so, yeah.
2: Right. It's all sort of massive heat transfer. It's just the energy density in uranium is so much greater than coal.
3: Right. Um, Chris? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose for me, the, the interesting thing is um, the, the level to which you can... Um, remove the ability for human error to mess to mess things up so to what extent um to what extent are nuclear accidents in general caused by people doing the wrong thing and therefore no matter how you evolve the systems somewhere you're always going to get a person pressing the wrong button in you know whatever whatever sequence it is that's that's a bit on
2: un- it's a really interesting question because there's two kinds of human involvement roughly that you can think of one is the kind of prompt involvement right where a human action the kind that you're talking about pressing a button is the proximate cause of some crisis that develops right some threat state that develops and there's another kind of human involvement which is at the design stage you know how do you make sure that your design yeah you're trying to design in this negative feedback thing which we can come back to in a bit if you want to Um, you know this idea that if a reactor goes into an unsafe state somehow that that's transient and it has a tendency to return to a safe state that it almost always always will ideally but if you get that design process wrong then that is a kind of human error as well so you know you've got those two kinds of things to the latter that kind of prompt human error um, modern reactor designs are really about taking that out as much as possible so human intervention is always should always be the very very last line of defense and ideally not required at all um in terms of designing them in the first place, that is an interesting one because then you're into the space of, well, how do you anticipate all possible threats and failures when some of them can be external? So you go to the Fukushima case, for example, modern nuclear reactor, well, modern-ish, but it had this kind of feature that it would have a tendency to return to a safe state. But the fallback systems that were used were knocked out by the um, by the tsunami. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was a, a, a threat that exceeded what we call the design basis threat. It was beyond the um, scenarios that the designers had envisaged and whether you interpret that as human error or an acceptable probability of failure is another you know that's a consideration right
1: yeah i mean and it's interesting trying to separate those things apart with with in the case of chernobyl and again i'm going largely i mean almost entirely on the tv program plus a little bit of back follow-up reading but is that um you know by itself actually the actions kind of with a safe reactor the humans uh, couldn't have couldn't have caused a meltdown um and if the humans at the same time if if the humans had been following the uh the procedures they were supposed to be following and had had a bit more of an understanding about what was causing the reactor to behave like it was behaving then they wouldn't have done the things that they did. So uh, I think, you know, my characterization of the kind of design decision process would be, well, yes, in these kind of extreme circumstances, this could happen. But um, luckily we have these procedures which tell people the sequence in which they should do things. And for example, so when it was at low power, um, uh, which was part of the problem, because apparently it wasn't burning enough, uh, it wasn't heating enough to get rid of xenon quickly enough. So it wasn't coming up to power. Um, something like that, and then, of course, once the last bit of xenon disappeared, suddenly it went it got very very hot all at once um they should have instead of letting it run on at low power, they should have turned it off altogether and completely rebooting or whatever the 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 correct term is um you know, and that was that was what they should have done, so in a way, the Soviets were taking the kind of cheap approach, which was design a slightly dodgy reactor, but assume your procedures will compensate, and of course they they didn't imagine or at least plan for people not following the procedures and that's what you know what do you do then
3: i think i think for me looking at those two things that you were talking about there tom the, the sort of the design error and the um response error or, or whatever or the, the sort of um you know activation uh, uh, error there are two things that i'm i'm kind of quite interested in in your views on one is you said you know it was um for fukushima there was a Potential um, classified design error in that uh, it didn't withstand a set of circumstances that actually happened. But you talked about, you know, the tolerable risk, and one thing that really struck me about um, the Chernobyl uh, disaster that came through from the programme was just the consequences of what could have could have happened. There's a there's a there's a meeting scene where they talk about what might what might happen and at that point i mean i had no idea of that at the time i was you know 12 years old or something um but you start to think oh you know that's the 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 upper level of what could have gone wrong was obviously enormously catastrophic um and so just to be clear for tom's benefit that was if the um
1: if the corium had melted through to the to the water it would, then they could have superheated it caused a thermal explosion which could then have destroyed the other plants in the same facility and then you know infected the groundwater and scattered fallout over a even yeah, bigger know, even, area. Explosions Explos- are bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah explosions, bad. explosions exactly. in nuclear like you don't that. like um, them yeah. bad.
3: Uh, but but so so yeah you know and it was the number of people and the geographical space it would have affected and so on but what i'm interested in is so with with fukushima when they are when they are trying to make those calculations about, okay, so we know the probability of a tsunami coming in of this height is pretty low, right? They must have made some calculations about, but it happened, so it wasn't that low, right? Um, but anyway, you know, they'll they'll be able to get a handle on that. But the upper scale in terms of the impact, the damage, the bad stuff that can can happen as a consequence, um, I'm quite interested as to how that gets gets modelled. And then the, the other thing, um, which you can... P- hopefully um pick up on is the human the human error in operating a system i'm interested how much autonomy is getting in into that now and how much sort of adaptable intelligent autonomy is 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 getting in and and what that means for for us there's
2: a lot of different things there Um, sorry no it's all right i think about let's just briefly on the fukushima thing because there is an interesting point there which is there was i mean whether you characterize it as error or not one of the interesting things which led to some of the explosions not of the reactor there were hydrogen explosions really um the reactor design had uh, spent fuel ponds so when the reactor you know when the fuel comes out it's extremely hot right and it's also very radioactive so you basically leave it in a pool for a while to cool down and that's on top of the reactor in the fukushima design in the in the four reactors that were there i think it's actually more than four but there were four next to each other in those famous pictures on tv and you saw like the plumes of hydrogen explosion coming out the top, which was basically gas from the, the breakdown of the cladding and things like that. And um hydrogen gas. And um those pools on top of the reactor had been overfilled. And they'd not been overfilled outside the design basis but beyond the original. So it'd been all regulatory qualified, all that sort of stuff, but they were more full than they had originally been planned to be. So there were some excursions, what would be called in safety land excursions from the original design base. Um, but the key thing that happened with Fukushima is, you know, that could potentially have been anticipated. I don't know whether the tsunami of that magnitude was within the design basis threat, you know, portfolio. Again, that's probably a term we should come back to. Um, whether or not it is, what, what it caused was a common mode failure where the same threat case knocked out both the system, the primary system and the backup yeah. system. Right? And that is a design error. That's a straight out design error, um, which could be could be anticipated.
1: I mean, I guess all nearly all Chernobyl is quite unusual because it was, I mean, purely human driven. But nearly all of the great disasters of history um, have involved, uh, you know, what subsequently seemed to be an en- a design fault uh, interacting with an extreme kind of event. Well, I you mean, know, Chernobyl so you've got your type... design,
2: What what would now be considered the design fault? That idea I... that well, as it heats up. The, the, the moderator becomes less effect that the, um, the coolant becomes less effective, that the reactor becomes more reactive, that would now be considered Yeah, I, I have the for...
1: phrase positive void coefficient in my brain, but I don't know what it means. Excellent. But it's, but it, the, uh, <laughs> it's but, very good. But, but yeah. I mean, but I, I, I guess Chernobyl it could, needn't have happened at all. Like, nothing, they didn't have to do this thing, yeah. you know, I guess. Whereas the sort of classic Titanic situation where you know, actually it is designed to be robust against almost every kind of iceberg strike. Mm-hmm. It just so happened is that the one that it wasn't designed for you know is the one that it hits uh and of course then they don't have enough lifeboats well it seems like you know, they didn't need them and same with fukushima like actually well they're kind of conscious that this is a potential thing and they've designed uh, out the things that could go wrong except for the thing that actually does come along and happen and I, and I suppose i don't know it seems like a very common confluence of things that actually you can't really tell if something is a design fault or an acceptable Design risk, you know, because you can't ever make everything hundred percent safe, right? So, um, I think it's quite it's quite hard to. So, I mean, to even I mean, if the Titanic had truly been unsinkable, then lifeboats were a waste of money, you right? You mean. It so it's not necessarily yeah. So so yeah. I think there's a question here in my mind about what the risk is, and that's where I want to put a controversial thing to you, and you can Surely change your mind. Not. Nuclear belt meltdowns, yes, are not a big deal. Change my mind. Um, well, they are if you're close to
2: them. I think. What? What do? You, what are, <laughs> where are you going with this?
1: They, even your Chernobyls and your Fukushima's, mm. have not actually killed very many people. And even when they followed up to try and look at increased cancer rates and stuff, yeah. there's nothing there. Clearly Birth maybe. defects, no evidence. I, I, so I reckon we are overly cautious. I think we're much more scared of of nuclear accidents than we should be, and we're much less scared of you know conventional forms of it's uh, a power station than we should be, and it's a good but, trade-off for what you get. I mean, right? can you convince me that nuclear that uh, nuclear accidents could be really bad? And if so, you know, what is that?
2: I feel like a TV series, if that's not going to do it. My attempts at sort of mangling two minutes of pop culture together if you aren't going to. But, you know, there is there is honestly, there are, there are some interesting sort of cognitive bias things going on here about how people deal with nuclear, right? There's, a, there's the effect heuristic thing going on, people overestimating uh, some, the risk of something which they have a, a strong emotional response to. And obviously nuclear, you know, when, when you say nuclear meltdown or explosion or whatever, you don't just think about... Fukushima or Chernobyl, you think about Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which are two extremely, you know, extremely different cases, and none of almost none of the effects that you saw happen to the populations of Hiroshima and Nagasaki would be evident as a, the result of a meltdown of the kind that was sort of dramatised. So, just very
1: briefly. Mm because that might put a lot of people's minds to rest uh, quite the opposite usually yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> but I mean, what i, what think, I mean is ask. like like i think a lot of nuclear people say right. look stop talking about nuclear power as though it's in any way related to nuclear weapons right. they're totally different technologies i mean is that true or is that actually a bit of a you know fudge?
2: they've got a common basis but they are very different right so the common basis is relying on splitting a nucleus and atoms nucleus to release energy and to be honest that's where the similarity ends (laughs) you know the whole point of a nuclear reactor is you're releasing energy gradually slowly over time in a controlled way and yes obviously it has broken down in cases Um, the the purpose of a nuclear weapon is to do entirely the opposite to release a lot of energy very very quickly in a well briefly controlled and then very very much uncontrolled way um, over over a short period of time Uh, and the ways that you achieve that are pretty different. You're trying to achieve something called a critical mass which is basically when you get self-sustaining chain reaction but again in reactors the way that you design that is quite careful so in a nuclear weapon you're trying to get something called supercriticality, which is where you're over the critical mass limit by many many times right you just want to go get as many splitting nuclei as close together as possible so they can all trigger each other off and you can use as much of your material very very quickly as you can with a nuclear reactor you're actually aiming to be slightly subcritical most of the time and to rely on something called um well it's basically some neutrons cause fissions to happen faster or slower than others, and you're basically looking at lag time to, to get you up to criticality. And what that means is if you sort of stop that process, the natural lag in the system will cause it to stop stop working. It's a very different sort of design principle. It's this kind of negative feedback.
1: And we're not, we're not having to – I mean, let's say if, if a power plant just stopped operating right there and then yeah. – it, it, nothing would happen right we're not we 're not having to intervene perpetually to stop it going critical in some way no correct and every every
2: modern design is about making sure that happens and, and more to the point, making sure there are circumstances which Even if they, you know, let's say somebody tries to fly a plane into a nuclear reactor or drives a truck full of explosives into a reactor building. Or if you're in a submarine and you have to turn upside down for some unthinkable reason, you know, is gravity going to move control rods or cores in, Mm. in, in a different, difficult way? And that's all designed in to make sure that under those kind of circumstances that you wouldn't get that kind of effect. By the way, when you were talking about rebooting a reactor earlier on, there is a term for that. It's called a scram. Uh it's oh, cool. an emergency <laughs> shutdown basically. Or a very quick shutdown is called a scram. So there you go. it probably
1: stands for something which I can't remember, but there you go. Worth a Google. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, uh I, I yeah, that that so that makes it So and I mean, yeah, cuz it's obvious that, you know, when even when things go horribly wrong like at Chernobyl and the allent fuel ends up as a kind of you know big molten mass, and it's all snuggled up together in the same place. That it still isn't behaving; it's still giving off energy quite slowly. I mean, um, well,
2: no, actually, it, 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 it's. I don't want to minimise it. You know, it's pretty serious when that kind of thing
1: happens. It is. Yeah, um, but it's miles. It's in, it's it's orders of magnitude away from it is a nuclear bomb. Of from away. a small um, nuclear bomb, one of the reasons it's not why, even anything like
2: that. Right, and one of the reasons why Chernobyl was so destructive was because it was it was about the graphite core fire and it was about the way that the radioactive particles you know there was the you know the fission issue but it's where the radio the way the radioactive pat- particles were sort of interacting with the soot effectively from this raging graphite fire that then just billows up and over and really creating a source of fallout effectively without the nuclear weapon mm. that would initiate it but you don't have you don't have the flash damage you don't have burns you don't have what you know what they call prompt gamma prompt beta all that sort of stuff the radiation poisoning effects that you would get from a It's a different kind of radiation poisoning, so you were getting that in Chernobyl, but not the same way as you would as was observed in, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki.
1: Right, you haven't, you haven't changed my mind. I now think nuclear uh, nuclear accidents are not uh, to be laughed off. Well, I, no, you're right. Nuclear accidents
2: are not to be laughed off, but they are correctly... To, you know, the point is the frequency and severity of them should be set alongside the frequency of severity of accidents in other equivalent uh. technologies. So you're looking at sort of person accidents per unit energy generated, right? Mm. That would be a sensible kind of metric to think about and prompt casualties from, say, Fukushima from... I think more people. Well, obviously, clearly, more people died in the Tohoku. It's fun. It's interesting that we call it Fukushima, but really, we should call it Tohoku because that's the name of the, the tsunami, and many more people were killed mm. in that. But more people died in. I think it was a gas refinery explosion, if I remember rightly. Um, so clearly, obviously, doesn't get the press, but I think that was about forty people, something like that. Yeah. Uh, prompt casualties. Now, obviously, we don't know what the delay casualties might be from Fukushima radiation, but you know, it seems likely that it will be, you know, some way below well clearly below the tokyo tsunami casualty yeah.
0: um chris you were about to ask something but also we've we've we're sort of groping our way towards the end here so if you if there's anything you yeah. want to sort of you know let's go towards that uh
3: yeah i suppose i, I i'm interested in um sort of understanding the primary threats then f- coming from you know nuclear nuclear power at the at the moment and you know whether those are um, based on you know natural disaster or um, kind of uh, nefarious human activity, what you know what is the nuclear industry kind of most most worried about?
2: Gosh, I'm I have to say I wouldn't be able to give you a ranking, but yeah. I would be able to give you a list of things that obviously natural disasters, because of the Fukushima experience, are right up there. Terrorism is clearly. You know, it's clearly one. And I think probably the insider threat with, as yeah. a subcategory within that, considering that, you know, there is a lot of consideration. This idea of design basis threat that I, that I mentioned earlier is basically you come up with a portfolio of things that you want your reactor to be able to deal with, that your system to be able to deal with. And having an insider, you know, you can kind of sort of throw that in as part of it, but it really does start to subvert. Uh, you're underst- it's a kind of modifier to a design basis threat that really does throw a spanner in the works for that kind of systematic analysis. So I'd say that sort of thing is really worrying. If you are looking at disrupting the operation of a reactor so that it did something of the kind that you know you saw dramatised for the Chernobyl series or or, um, or in Fukushima, that again is going to be difficult for design issues. But you know, diverting or disrupting or detonating, you know, trying to spread um, radioactive contamination, perhaps, or increase fear, frankly you know that sort of thing is is clearly yeah yeah.
1: yeah so radiological rather than i mean right. it doesn't really Correct. sit in any other of the kind of wmd category you can't make a wmd out of a nuclear plant that's what we're saying i I mean and i and I think you know it's interesting looking I was looking at the um accident rates and um superficially uh it's doesn't you you might think it hadn't improved because there's there are still the same on average like numbers of nuclear accidents, but of course uh there are many more nuclear plants now, about four hundred and fifty now, and actually so my kind of estimate of the kind of ten year rolling frequency of accidents is it's now about one uh in a hundred accidents per so out of every 100 facilities there's one accident per year um uh, on average whereas um oh no sorry one out of every 1000 uh, whereas it was something like, yeah, one in one in uh, 100 in 1967. Mm-hmm. Um, so in other words, uh, yeah. for every 10-year period, one in 10 uh, facilities would have an accident. And, and, it... and yeah, because there are so many more of them now. So basically, it's much safer. And that's just like every other industry, you know, aeroplanes, transportation, you know, we, building regulations, safety always gets better because we shut, you know, barring a few unusual things, we shut down... Things that have gone wrong in the past, and the next thing we can never ever be sure that we've we've got rid of the next thing that's going to happen, but it's not going to be one of the last things so you you are kind of gradually shutting the door um but yeah i mean the the worry is when you have accident profiles which are very uh you know broad tailed where you could have a hugely catastrophic accident Mm. and you know a rare hugely catastrophic accident very hard to value because obviously an order of magnitude mistake will but that's why i'm trying to drill it that's why i was kind of interested in how bad could it be because i've come to the conclusion that the answer is not that bad
3: actually because that's what i was getting at with the with the chernobyl question (laughs) was you know um uh what is what is the upper end of what could happen but it sounds like uh maybe not maybe not too bad um but uh well, I, 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 I i mean i guess like the the geographic location of these things is quite relevant because obviously the soviet union was a big they could just bus people off you know uh, 500 kilometers away and it wasn't a problem they're well used to moving their populations around if we if we have one in our country you know the exclusion zone is going to contain most of the the country so um you know is 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 there is there a danger with using them in you know areas of high high sort of population density should should we just sort of stick them all in canada (laughs) i don't know how the canadians the canadians actually have a vibrant nuclear industry it's probably fine i mean i
2: don't know how to i wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to underestimate... So when you said nuclear accidents aren't necessarily severe, I mean, it's the combination of probability and outcome that yeah. I think, you know, that that I would agree with you on. The individual accidents themselves are clearly very serious and have, in a way that, you know, fossil fuel, renewables, et cetera, don't have significant long-term cleanup consequences. They're just... You know well, they we
1: kind of do, but we 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 seem happy with them. <laughs> are you talking yeah. about climate change <laughs> yeah right, okay, leaving I mean... us but I'm talking about sort
2: of response to an accident, right, so yeah, I agree with you on that, but response to accident sort of stuff, that is something you'd have to take
3: into account um but if you're thinking about um sorry go again, Chris, what was that uh just whether or not you know um th- well there's obviously more risk if you put them by population oh, yeah, the census. population yeah. yeah, no, you're right um yeah, clearly um I mean one of the
2: interesting... i mean you can. One of the interesting things to look at, for example, is local planning information around uh, Portsmouth, you know, Mm. Devonport dockyard uh, and that sort of thing for this isn't a, you know, this isn't a power reactor. This is because it's a submarine base. So clearly they have to have response plans in place. It's a major city. You know, nuclear reactors generally aren't, you know, power reactors are near population centers required to, you know, staff them. Uh, but not major ones. But that one's kind well, the of. The question
1: is could it render Portsmouth any more uninhabitable Awful than it always is? Awful dystopian <laughs> yeah. future scape. Apologies right? to all our I want to dis- in dis- the Royal dissociate
2: Navy. myself from this dissing of Portsmouth, <laughs> which I hope to visit again someday.
0: Um, I, I, we need to bring things to a conclusion fairly soon. Uh, I've just got a, a, perhaps a question I should have asked at the beginning, um, which is very basic question how does it work the 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 nuclear power plant design industry how do how does it work in terms of public sector private sector oh, great in terms yeah. of competition it doesn't in, really in terms of how does this how does uh i was about to say the soviet union how does russia do it how does uk and what's the sort of general state of that industry at the moment
2: Well, you know, you're asking me at a great time because yesterday I was running an all-day conference at my organisation, and one of the presentations there dealt with exactly this question. So I'm going to steal from Thomas Davies. Thank you, Thomas. I appreciate you. Uh, And this is your citation. Um, So, I mean, there's an interesting thing here, right, which is that the UK, for partly EU reasons, partly ideological reasons, has chosen not to go for state-backing nuclear power in a very sort of explicit way. You could argue that the very high strike price for power at Hinkley is a form of state backing kind of by the back door but it isn't it isn't you know underwriting it providing costs up front whereas russia china etc are even france for example are much more willing with state-backed companies in the case of rosaton the russian one in totally state-owned companies to provide financing up front and a complete package which just makes it much more attractive so t- there are attempts to i mean i think there's an open question as to whether nuclear power is genuinely a market or whether it really is sort of geopolitical competition geoeconomic competition between between states using this sort of power as, as a proxy for for influence if you see a nuclear power as a proxy for influence i think there is a case there uh you know our government's chosen to go one way which i think is proving to be the wrong one mm. uh, i think if you're going to do Um, nuclear power in the UK or with a nuclear design you basically have to front up the costs if you want to do it so we're either going to have to stop charging our iPhones so much Mm. uh, and cut our energy consumption really very dramatically or we're going to have to you know make and I mean very very dramatic it's not just sort of but it's kind of total lifestyle change it's just not going to happen If we want to fill that gap, it is probably nuclear for the foreseeable future until, you know, hopefully that's imagined renewables or cleaner energy are able to fill that in a more sustainable way. Is is
1: it plausible to think that if we invested in nuclear energy as much, I mean, and I'm assuming, I mean, obviously nuclear energy isn't renewable in the sense that there must only be, we can't create new nuclear fuel, right? yeah but But, uh, so i mean i mean but is it plausible to think that there are are there potential i mean from a physics standpoint are there potential efficiency gains to be had i mean how efficient are nuclear reactors how efficient could they be i mean because i know that you know in terms of capture of energy um you know even the best sort of photovoltaic cells are still what we might think of as pretty inefficient you know it's still only a percentage i think you know 10, 20% Ten, twenty percent or something of of the incident light is being converted efficiently into electricity. How far could we go with nuclear or is it pretty as efficient as efficient as it gets from a-
2: well i mean yeah i mean mm. y- you'll always try and run a reactor so that you get every last ounce of juice, as it were, out of the fuel. But there's more you can do. You're talking about the sort of stages of energy. Every time you transfer energy from one form into another, you kind of lose something along the way, right? Um, And so what you could do is you could think of having... At the moment, we have gas-cooled reactors. The gas is the medium that's sort of transferring heat around that kind of thing. Uh, You could go for something even hotter because heat efficient transfer is much more efficient at high temperatures, like liquid sodium, for example. And that might be the next generation. So you you have some
1: sort of spooky glowing liquid instead of water
2: well you wouldn't be able to look at it right (laughs) you you know it would be it would be concealed but you would do another thing potentially like you would what you would have a what they call an actinide burning fuel cycle which is to to cut over a long sort of technical explanation that i would probably muff uh is basically looking at the waste product from one reactor and using its power another one near enough um just before we finish off um just on a slightly lighter
0: note... Um, right, hang on, I haven't made my surprising claim. Go on, make your surprising I'm claim. I'm going to
1: say that nuclear energy is green... In terms of its consequences, is greener than renewable energy. Greener. Citation needed. Uh, the Chernobyl exclusion area. Well, it's, now, it's now a lush wilderness <laughs> full of full of you know animal species that are returning to Europe. And, full and, of two-headed deer. No, it's yeah. not. Because there isn't any... It's, it's bulls. There no, no, well, aren't any mutant animals. They're all doing really, really well and and that wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been
0: for good old nuclear action. and that brings me nicely on to actually what I wanted to ask which is have you been to chernobyl i have not bam I have not. I'm well, the sorry. reason I- the reason I ask is really frustratingly I'm about to go to Ukraine in about three weeks from now and one of the things I thought about doing was going off to Chernobyl and doing a little yep. photo project but first of all you know everyone's suddenly talking about it Ukraine's the big thing oh, apparently no, t- big tourism thing has now. shot up mm-hmm. and, and actually I even saw there was a great photo essay in the Guardian on this on, on Chernobyl um, so you know it just kind of dashed my hopes of just being that different guy who goes to, to yeah, Ukraine yeah, sorry it's really in now right yeah, yeah. I, well there you go. I'm height of fashion. Um, so I was going to ask for some advice for, for visiting Chernobyl Strait to Ukraine. That's no good. I'm sorry about um, that. Yeah, that's no, very no disappointing. Advice, <laughs> <laughs> uh, other thing, um, completely different. I, I often like to ask our guests this. Um, if you weren't what you are, mm. what would you be? What would you be doing?
2: Oh, gosh. Well, if I had the ability, um, behavioral psychologist, something like that. Uh, and if I
1: didn't have the ability, probably a salesman i think i, I don't <laughs> okay. see why i mean if you can master nuclear physics it's got, it's, psychology is a it's a social science so there's not even hardly any uh, maths. Yeah, people too <laughs> yeah okay um
0: so chaps before we finish off with tom is there anything you'd like to to, to ask is there
1: anything you'd like to sort of round up on at all tom i mean no I'm i'm now feeling you know feeling happier than ever about smug Yeah, about going and playing with some radium or something, because I feel completely... Yeah, don't do that. What I will say is that this is probably one of the first experiences I have
2: where the people I'm speaking to about nuclear issues leave the room happier than they did when they came in. (laughs) So if you'd like, we can do North Korea and the effects of nuclear weapons. Okay, let's quit while we're ahead then.
0: (laughs) Okay, Okay. right, gentlemen, uh, thank you very much indeed. Um, You've been listening to the Cognitive Engineering podcast with myself, Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Nick Hare and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. But a special thanks to Tom Plant our special guest this week. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us, Tom. You're very welcome. Okay, thank you. Goodbye.